Peter, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Our scripture reading tonight is from the book of Revelation, chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, and you have abandoned the love you had first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, who I also hate. Who, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. When you know what to expect, you can understand more of what is going on. Case in point, my wife and I recently started watching WandaVision. Any of y'all watch WandaVision in here? And so, I mean, it was a long drought of folks from the, you know, from the MCU last year, but we got our first, uh, you know, droppings from them with WandaVision. Then we got Falcon Winter Soldier coming up soon. But you see, my wife and I, we actually broke our cardinal rule when it comes to TV shows. We typically don't start TV shows until at least the season is done and preferably until the show as a whole is done. I'm not one of those people that can wait from week to week. I am awful at waiting, and honestly, I just forget a lot of what happens going on from week to week. But thankfully, you know, they have the recaps previously seen on, those different kinds of things. But I had enough people on my Twitter feed and people around the office here at the church that when we were going through and when we were looking, they would say, man, this is weird. You go through and you're like, I don't know what's happening. I was following along with them as they were watching, and then finally week four hit. And they were like, it is all starting to make sense. And this is incredible. You've got to watch this. And we were slowly talked into, we had our arms twisted into starting this show. And y'all, it has been wonderful. But it was the case that through those first few episodes, we were dropped in. And we had a little bit more of an idea of what to expect. Because they had told us, this is what's coming without giving away any spoilers. But it was one of those things that when we knew what to expect going in, it helped us to understand ultimately when it finally got to that point. And us both having seen previously all of the things in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it helped us to understand and appreciate things that were happening there in that moment. But during those first few episodes, I was just like, I don't know where we have been dropped down into. I don't know what's going on. Who is that? Why are they doing that? Is this magical? Is this not? I don't know what's going on. And a lot of times... It was mirroring how I felt and what I think a lot of people feel like when we come to the book of Revelation. I was talking about with some people that when we get dropped down here into the book of Revelation, there is probably not another book of the Bible more intimidating to believers, but probably not a book of the Bible that is more intriguing to believers, especially in this day and age. But as we go through and as we look in Revelation, more specifically within the first three chapters, 
it's, I want you to be able to see throughout the course of these next few weeks as we go through it. That it is not distant, it is not far removed, it is not aloof, but rather there is a relevant and enduring word in the book of Revelation for the church and for us as individual members of it today. And when we go through in each of these first couple of chapters, we get seven letters. There are seven letters. Seven is a popular number that comes up all throughout the course of the book of Revelation. But you have at the very beginning of chapters 2 and 3, you have Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of God, speaking to the Apostle John, John the Revelator. And he says, these are the letters to the seven churches. And these are intensely practical and they hit home in the everydayness of our lives. And Jesus himself is calling the church to be alert to various things. He's going through and as we see this, not just for those churches, but for us as well. And so when we go through, and again, knowing what to expect, it helps to increase our understanding. Here are some things that we need to be aware of, things that we need to know to expect so that our understanding is increased as we go into the book of Revelation. When you think of Revelation, I want you to think of less spontaneous and more structured. Okay, sometimes we can think of the book of Revelation as that John was just so overcome and he just starts writing down or maybe he's in a vision or a trance or something like this and he just like starts writing and he doesn't know exactly what it's writing and he's just stream of consciousness writing things as they're happening. But I think what you're going to be able to see is that this is also something that is very highly structured that the Holy Spirit gives to him. That this is not something that is just pinned down willy-nilly, but something as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these things down for these churches and by extension for us is something that is steeped in Old Testament imagery. A lot of times people want to come to the book of Revelation and want to try to understand it, but without any sort of framework from the Old Testament coming forward. But you wouldn't be able to know. It'd be like trying to start watching WandaVision without having seen everything that comes before in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You just wouldn't be able to understand. You wouldn't really be able to appreciate. You wouldn't be able to see and enjoy all of the things that are going on. The plot wouldn't make sense. And the numbers that we see all through Revelation, they're not for calculation, but they're for significance. It's not so that we can come up with these apocalyptic calendars. But when we see this, it's significance with the number seven, completeness, totality, that we have. This is right here, we're going to see in just a few moments. We're not going to go there on the screens yet, but in chapter one, when we get the vision of the Son of Man, of Jesus Christ resurrected in glory, that there are seven defining marks of his appearance. And it's one of each of those seven defining marks that will be referenced to at the beginning of each of the seven letters. And so what we see, the significance of this, is that in these letters to the seven churches, Christ is introduced by one of these attributes. And taken together, it's meant to show us that the church together here on earth represents the fullness of the body of Christ. And so when we go through and we don't have to start getting out the calendars, we don't have to start making the spreadsheets and picking out the charts and putting up billboards predicting when the end of the world is going to happen. But when we come, we can see these things steeped in Old Testament, numbers for significance, not calculation. And in knowing what to expect to increase our understanding when we view Revelation, I want you to think less apocalypse chart and more encouragement for the heart. I still remember one of my professors as he was walking through the book of Revelation. He says sometimes that we can, we can treat it as such a foreign object to be studied that we forget that these are the words of Christ to a persecuted church. A church that is enduring death, 
threats. I mean, things from without, things trying to rip them apart from within. And this revelation of Jesus Christ through John to these churches and to us, they wanted to help them to endure and to stand in troubled times. Not so that we could chase curiosities and count blood moons. But as we look at these things, as we come into the letters, we see that these are very personal. And that Jesus, as he's coming through, we see it's a similar pattern as we'll walk through these letters in the next few weeks. It was meant for all of the, it was all together, but it was meant for all of the churches to be able to hear. So tonight we'll be looking at the letter to the church at Ephesus. But it's grouped together with all of the other letters. They were going to be reading each other's mail. They were going to be hearing about the different things that were going on over there. Because the thing about it is, it was happening in their places too. That this is meant for the whole church to hear and to heed. And it begins each of them hearkening to an image of the vision of Christ in chapter 1 that we'll read in a moment. And there are these commendations and there are these corrections going on in the church. As they're pulled together as a collective. That there are some things that they're doing well and then there are some things that they're going to be brought in conflict over. Some things that the Lord wants to correct. But each of them ends with a focus on the reward that was ahead of them. As they were enduring the persecution in the moment, something to look ahead, something to long for, something to hope for, something to help them endure in the moment. And so tonight, with that framework, we're going to jump into the book of Revelation and the letter to the church at Ephesus. So we'll be picking up in the start of Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And we're like, wow, that sounds pretty cool. But what on earth does it mean? <laughs> to him who holds the seven stars in his hands and walks among the seven golden lampstands. What we have right here is a hearkening back to the descriptors of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. And as we take all of these things together, we see that it is an idol-shattering image. In the face of all of the different places that they would have been, all of the different religions that other people would have been worshiping in, that this is the vision of the resurrected Jesus with highly symbolic language. Follow along with me as I read this picture. This is John writing, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice, his voice was like the roar of mighty waters. And in his right hand he held the seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. That what we have right here, the seven distinguishing marks of the vision of Christ, that a lot of times people, if you were to try to take each of these things and you were to try to draw them out on a piece of paper, it would not go very well, right? Kind of like if you were to go through and you were to, in the book of the Song of Solomon, right? And you were to take a lot of the highly symbolic language there and you were to try to draw a picture of the man describing the woman, like, you know, it just would not go well. 
And so what we've got to do is we've got to see what is the significance behind what all of these things are. So when it's saying that he's wearing long white robes with a golden sash around his chest, it is hearkening back to the Old Testament and to the vestments that the high priest would wear. That Jesus now, as our high priest, the intermediary, no one else that we need to go through, we have direct access to God through him. In his head, flowing white hair, it's hearkening back to Daniel 7, a descriptor of the ancient of days. Or we see in Proverbs 16, the wisdom. And we see the purity. His eyes, like a flame of fire, the penetrating and purifying gaze. Able to see and able to make clean. His feet... Like burnished bronze, like that's hot coming out of the kiln. That he is stable and there is energy, there is movement. That he is sure and he can't be moved, but he as the unmoved can move himself. And his voice, like the rush of many waters, nothing can drown out his voice. In his hands he holds the seven stars. And we read a little bit later on in Revelation 1. It's the angels of the seven churches. That he holds all authority and power over his church and over the world. In his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. The word of God that comes out and cuts through all that is false. And in his face shining like the sun in its full strength. In his face radiating. In his light do we see light. That things are illuminated in his presence. That this is the vision of Jesus. Here, the attribute that is highlighted for the church at Ephesus is that he is the one who holds the seven stars in his hands. To begin all of these letters, he wants this church to know, I am the one who holds all of you in my hand. That there is that proximity. There is that power. There is that care. And what does he want to say to the church at Ephesus? What does he want to say to us? Well, he wants to commend them and he wants to correct them. Well, what does he want to commend them for? Verses 2 through 3, he says, I know your works. And this is a feature of every one of the letters. They all begin with Jesus saying, I know. I don't know what it is that you're going through tonight. And I don't say this in kind of like a preacher horoscope way. You say it and it would be true for enough of the people in the room. But he knows what you're going through. He knows what you're walking through. And yes, this is written to a collective, to the church, to us as a whole. But we, as the body of Christ, are individually members of it. And he sees and has that same care for every one of his flock. And he says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. How you can't bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And have found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake, and that you have not grown weary. I mean, they're doing a lot of great things, right? They're toiling, they're waiting patiently, they're enduring, they're not tolerating evil. Like, there are people that are coming around, and they're trying to pass things off as apostolic teaching. And, you know, it's not the same thing like we could today, like somebody tells us their name, and then we go Google whatever church they said they're from and see their church staff website, or where we have these different things. Like that. It would be somebody rolling up and saying, like, yes, this is authoritative teaching directly from Jerusalem. And we're like... Okay, yeah, I, I don't know what to do with that, but you can't just go based on who they say they are. You have to actually test their words, and so they're testing these people, and they've actually found out that there's been some false teaching that has infiltrated their ranks, and they've dealt with it. They've tested them. They've cast them out. They're standing strong. Man, all of it could be characterized at the beginning, like he's saying, I know your works. They're active. 
They're circling the wagons. They're doing things. They're full of activity. Sounds great. But we get to verse 4, and it's kind of jarring for us a little bit. But he says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. You see, what, what does this mean? That they had abandoned the love that they had had at first. You know, some have said, well, it's kind of like they just need to get back to the beginning of what their relationship with Jesus was like. And, you know, I've, I've heard and talked with enough students and, you know, even had, like, in my own prayers, like, in times where I felt especially dry and where I've been wandering, asking for God to make it like it was when I first started to believe. Just help me to recover a little bit of that. And there's an element of that that could be spoken to here. But that's not all of what Jesus is trying to correct in them. It's not necessarily just get back to the beginning of what your walk was like, but rather, as G.K. Beale, a Bible scholar who has helped me a lot through this book, he said, rather the idea right here is that the church at Ephesus, they no longer expressed their former passion and love for Jesus by witnessing to him in the world. That what they were going through, and he, he draws it over here, connects it to Matthew 24, 14. And this is what Matthew 24 says as Jesus is speaking. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So there is a direct connection right here from the mouth of Jesus in Matthew and then again here in the book of Revelation that there is a connection between our love staying warm, not growing cold, and our fervency to be able to share that same love with other people. The loss of love right here for the Ephesian church is an unfaithfulness to the task of sharing the gospel. The love of God, kind of like we would see in 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul says the love of Christ controls us. Some translations would render it, the love of Christ compels us, constrains us, moves us, directs us. Guys, the love that they are not being directed, they are not being compelled, they are not being controlled by the love of God. And Jesus is calling them to return to the love that they had had at the first. And for us, the call is not just to buck up and do it, but it is framed as an act of love. Not, you need to be sharing your faith more. You need to be talking to that person who doesn't know Jesus. No, you need to have your love for the Lord reawakened, rekindled, warmed back up. Because you see, it's possible for us to be full of activity and to be empty of love. You see, activity for God does not equal love for God. And we need to be alert to this through this first letter to the church at Ephesus. It is possible to be full of activity and empty of love. I mean, we would see this with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, right? The love chapter. Before we get into all of the descriptors, love is patient, love is kind, what we get at the very beginning, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, that sounds pretty great. But if I have not love, 
I'm nothing. And if I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, if I do all of this, even if I sacrifice myself, but if I, have, if I do not have love, then I gain nothing. Because you see, activity for God does not equal love for God. It is possible to be full of activity and to be empty of love. And y'all, we know this. We know this intuitively. Valentine's Day was recently, right? And if you're in a relationship or if you're somebody maybe that really went for it and your first date was on Valentine's Day, more power to you. But like it's what if you were to do, like if you were in a committed relationship with someone and, you know, the guy texts the girl, uh, dinner tonight, question mark. And sure, yes, where are we going? Uh, you pick, you know, somewhere and they pick, you know, Applebee's. I don't know. You don't go to Applebee's on Valentine's Day. But it's one of those things. Wherever you go. You go to that restaurant, and it's kind of weird because he doesn't pick you up. He tells you just to meet you there. He's got something going on beforehand. And then you show up, and you sit down. He's already there waiting on you, and he's just out on his phone, right? And then you, you sit down, and, like, I mean, he doesn't get up or anything or, like, get your chair or anything. Really not anything. He's like, hey, sorry, just checking the score of the game right here. And, you know, going through, and you're like, this is the strangest Valentine's Day date I've ever been on before. And so you're going through and you're like, so how was your day? It was fine. Um, yeah, so uh, how was yours? And you're just going back and forth. and you're just, Something is obviously not right. And so finally you just get up the courage and you ask him, hey, I mean, what's up? Like things aren't right here. Things aren't, this isn't how I pictured it. Like are you upset with me? Like did things go... What's going on? And he said, well, I mean, what more do you want? It's like, I mean, it's Valentine's Day. I asked you if you wanted to go to dinner. We're sitting at a table together. They're bringing out the blooming onion. Like, you know, it's, what, what more can you really want? Like, I thought I was doing everything that you were supposed to, like, I'm checking off all the boxes here. Like, what, what more do you really want? And you see, it's because just the simple activity and being able to say that you're doing something devoid of the passion, devoid of the love, devoid of the satisfaction in the other person and the joy of being in their presence. Simple activity does not equal love, right? You would get up from that table and you would storm out and end of relationship, right? Or it should be. And so you're going through like, and so for us, when we come, what we're called to do is we are called to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. We are to love him and to love other people and to tell them about his love. But you see, for us, we are so prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And sometimes, yes, we think about that wandering just in like the wilderness of sin and going off and chasing other things that are antithetical to the scriptures. But sometimes that wandering can be caught up in doing activity for God devoid of the love of God. And we've got to be very alert because there is this drift into doing things for God or for other people's not out of a place of love, but it's just more transactional. And just the discharge of duty. And I'm doing this because I'm supposed to. Rather than out of a desire to. And so we have this. We are prone to worry about how do we respond? What does Jesus call it? How do we recover the love that we have at first? We pick this up in verses 5 through 7. Jesus charges us. 
Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Remember and do the works that you did at first. If not, I'll come to you. I'll remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He calls the church to remember where they came from. To get back to their roots. And for the church, it doesn't get any more rooted than in the person and work of Jesus. Getting back to the foundation that the church was built on. It was the person and work of Jesus to remember what God has done for us, most ultimately in the sending and the sacrifice of His Son for us. That remember these things and remember how He has worked in your life and He has worked in the life of your church, your home church, the church that you're in right now, and being able to remember this call to remember from where you fall, remember what it was like, and to do the works that you did at first. Because you see, it's... One of those things that when they had the freshness, when they were with the Lord, when they had first believed, when they were really enjoying His presence, you know, it's kind of one of those things you can't help but talk about what you enjoy, right? It's like me whenever I find a new book, like a new or a new author or a new TV show, you know, go figure, a new movie, something like that. A new restaurant. I mean, it's one of those things. When you find something new that you, I at least, want to tell everyone about it. And I want to watch it with you. I want to listen to that song with you. I want to go to that restaurant with you. I want to see you enjoy it as much. And it's what C.S. Lewis would call that sometimes when we share in that with others, it completes the enjoyment. And when we truly enjoy something that we can't help but talk about it. And that it is actually stifling and one of the most torturous things that it could be on a certain level to be able to enjoy something and have nobody to be able to share or nobody to be able to share in that excitement and joy with. And so for us, like when we enjoy something, whether it's a good song, a good movie, a good meal, a good restaurant, or even all of those pale in comparison to the enjoyment of God himself, that when you start to enjoy, that you will then share about it naturally with other people. We talk about those things which we most enjoy. We talk about very naturally those things that we're most passionate about. It's not anything like, yeah, when the PS5 was coming out, right? Sony launched this new game system. Sony, yeah, they did the social media ads, they ran TV spots, all this other kind of stuff. But they didn't have to convince the people who got the game systems to post, to tell everybody else about the awesomeness of the graphic, you know, the, the memory, the speed, no lag, resolution, this, that, and the other. No, it was when they got their hands on the box. It was when they started to actually interact and to play with the system that then their mouths opened up in praise. There was no coordinated social media strategy. There was no guerrilla grassroots marketing that had to happen. No, people just experienced and locked in. And how much more so would it be to an even greater degree when God's people recover the grandeur, the goodness, the joy of walking with the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And when we do that and when we see it, we can't help. It's not like we're having to drum up presentations. It's not like me having to stand up here and be like, go share your faith. 
You know, go do this, go do that. Evangelism strategy, go, 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 go. No, rather what we see in with the call of God right here is to enjoy God, remember his work on your behalf and how that love that he has had for you. We love because he's first loved us. That as we have received that love and as we walk in that love, now we share that love with other people. And so we let our light. He's the one who's walking among the lampstands. And with this image, it's hearkening back to what Jesus has said on the Sermon on the Mount. That you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. No one lights a light and then hides it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine, right? That as we have this light, and if we continue to hide it, and if we continue to shelve it, and we continue to stifle it, then the Lord says that he will remove it. And he wants us to shine our lights on our campuses, in our families, in our dorms, in our apartment complexes, with our neighbor, by sharing the most important thing to you. And loving them enough to be able to share that. Because you see, the church at Ephesus, they had gotten really good at doing a lot of activity for God. And they had a lot of right theology. But it was devoid of love. But you see, the thing about it is, I don't want you to hear me say this. What Jesus is saying right here, he is not saying disregard doctrine and love lavishly. Doctrine doesn't matter. Beliefs don't matter. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is guard the message and share it. The church of Ephesus was really good at guarding the message. They were really good at sniffing out false teachers. They were really good at sizing up things in relation to the truth. They were really good watchdogs. But what they were not able to do was to actually share that message that they sought so much to preserve. So it's not an either or. It's not like that we can either be really good at guarding the message or we can be really good at sharing the message. Because you could be sharing a message that is not the message of Jesus. We need both the truth and love, as Paul would bring together in Ephesians chapter 4, that we need to speak the truth in love. We need to call sin what it is. We need to hold forth the word of God unashamedly. We need to rightly divide it and not just pick the parts that make us feel good or that give us the license to do the things that we want to do. But we hold forth the word of life, but we don't do so in beating it over the heads of the people that we're going through, that we're speaking with, but rather speaking the truth in love. We guard the message. We care about its content, but we're your Bold enough and we enjoy it so much that we can't help but share it. Because we have this one life to be able to do this. You know, there will be a day where we don't share the gospel anymore. Everyone who will be there at the end of this verse, at the end of this letter, that to the ones who conquer, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You know, others have written books reflected on the one thing we can't do in heaven. And it's to share our faith. And it's because at that point, everyone that is there, we will share the faith with, but in a different way. We will share in it and the benefits of it for all eternity. Eating of the tree of life. Again, that's one of those Easter eggs going back to Genesis. 
going back, the tree that was there will now be here in the new city of God, paradise, that we will be able to eat freely of it. And its leaves are for the healing of the nations. That this is where we are going. To the one who conquers. But it's not just enough for us to know, I'm good. That's where I'm headed. That's the one for me, I'm, I'm conquering. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm going there, I'm going to eat. Circle the wagons. Keep out everybody else. Just guarding the message. We're not content just to guard it. But we are compelled by the very love of Christ to share it as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us boldness as we seek to share the good news of the hope that we have with other people. And God, we pray for just greater awareness of your love for us. And God, that you would rekindle our love for you here in these days ahead. God, for those here in this room who desire to feel again, maybe that are going through a season of spiritual numbness with a vision of Christ, not necessarily through any other way, but through your word, God, you've promised that you would reveal yourself there. God, would you, through your word and that vision of Christ, would you prompt us to greater devotion, to greater love? Would you help us to remember the work that you have done at first? And God, would you call us to walk forward in obedience and would we walk in it? We pray for this help. We need this help for the sake of your kingdom, for your glory, and for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.